0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway.
1: Hi everybody, I haven't seen yet. <laughs> this is Romans 5, 12-21, Death through Adam, Life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, Through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners— so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: All right, Romans 5. The second half, you guys ready? Yeah, okay. All right. Um, So when I was growing up, I'm not sure I was certain of much, but one thing that I was certain of was that there was something wrong with me. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe that's something you can relate to. And I'm not sure where that belief came from. It might be the thing that every little kid realizes at some point that you're kind of a weirdo. And if you want people to like you, you better cover that up. And of course, that feeling only magnifies as you get older, especially as you get into like middle school, right? You realize that you're not cool. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to wear the right clothes. That something just seems middle school is just one constant reminder, right? That like something's wrong with you. But I was also keenly aware of dumb decisions I made, right? I remember being in first grade and messing up a school assignment and having a teacher embarrass me. And I remember being in second grade and me and my friend were playing and I hit him in the face with a Nerf gun and having my parents sit me down and say, you need to use your brain when you make decisions. And I remember the time I accidentally hit my dad with a toy because I thought we were playing catch and he got really mad. And I remember all these you know these dumb decisions that I would make. And in each of these cases, what was so sad is I wasn't even trying to do anything wrong, right? It just seemed like I couldn't help but make mistakes. But as I got older, that sense of maybe that there was some innocence there kind of faded, right? When I first had the opportunity to make decisions about who I would hang out with or what I would do, or you know how I would deal with something like sexuality or things like that. I was very aware that I was making poor choices. I could blame my parents for this, right? Maybe if they had affirmed me more or loved me better, maybe I wouldn't have felt so bad about myself. Maybe I wouldn't have suffered under so much guilt and shame. But the reality is, I'm not sure that their parents were good at giving them love or affirmation either. And I'm not sure that they're, they, they're, their grandparents were good at giving love or affirmation. And we could probably just keep going back and back and back and back, right? The more I looked at it, the more I realized that the sense of tragic brokenness was not unique to me, but something that had been inherited down through the generations. So I carried that sense around, that sense of guilt and shame that something was wrong and specifically something was wrong with me. I don't know if you guys know what that, if you can relate to that. And then when I was 15, someone invited me to youth group and I had kind of grown up in church, but this was the first time that I heard clearly that there was a word for what I was feeling and it was sin. Sin was not just the poor choices I was making. Sin was something I was born into. Sin was something that was passed down through the generations and sin was not just stupid decisions, though it includes that, but the tragic brokenness of humanity. And the result of sin is death, not just physical death, but this alienation that I knew, the sense of guilt and shame, the profound sense of separation between myself and God, between myself and others, and between myself and myself. Like every other human being, I had been born into sin, and the result was death in every sense of the word. But here's the good news. God did not condemn in that place. God did not leave me alone in that place. God chose not to be God without us. And on the cross, Jesus took sin upon himself. And Jesus took all that separation on himself. Jesus took that death upon himself and he broke it. Because of that, if I was willing to open my hands and receive, I could be forgiven. And for the first time in my life, I could stand before God unashamed. Even if I continued to mess things up till the day I died, I could stand before God in freedom. And Jesus, for the first time ever, nothing was wrong with me. I was okay. All was well. Sin was done. Amen. And that was my experience of what's called salvation. And I went back to school after that and continued messing everything up. But for the first time in my life, there was this place that I could go where nothing was wrong with me. I was loved. I was seen and I was okay. I had peace with God through Jesus Christ, to quote Ian's passage from last week. And I tell this story because this is basically what the first half of our passage for tonight says. I'm going to reread it. It's a thick passage. So, you know, I imagine even with two readings, we're not quite going to get it down. But Romans 5, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one to come. And I want you to note the capital letters that I added to sin and death, um, because that's important. Because what Paul says is that when Adam sins, he does more than make a bad decision. He actually opens the door for this cosmic power called sin, with a capital S, to come in. And that that cosmic force of sin comes and stands against humanity and mucks everything up. Not just our inner world, not just our ability to make good decisions, but our systems, our structures, our families. Everything gets messed up by sin, so we don't just wake up one day and decide to sin. Instead, we're born into patterns and systems of sin. And while this in some way makes us the tragic victims of sin, in other ways, when given the choice to do other than sin, what do we usually do? We usually choose the same pattern that humanity has always done. This is what it means to be born into Adam. Adam. We are victims of sin, but perpetuators of it too. We are born under sin and proud servants of it. And over time, through both sin's oppressive power and our own poor choices, Paul says that we become enslaved to sin. We can't escape. There's nothing we can do to get outside of it. And the wages of this sin, the result of it is death. Again, I use the capital D because it means so much more than just physical death. It means the sense of separation and alienation that becomes the pattern in our life. So does that make sense? It's not always how we talk about sin. You can think about it. You can take just about any larger systemic issue that goes on in our world, something like poverty or violence or racism or consumeristic capitalism, all these things. One of the reasons many of us feel so powerless to do anything about this is because we're born into them right? These systems have existed for generations and sometimes centuries before we even got here. So we feel like we can't do anything about them. And because they existed, we're born into them. So we're formed by them. We develop patterns and habits around these systems. And so sometimes we're even unaware of the ways that we are part of the system of sin. And so then when we actually get the choice to do otherwise, we usually choose the old thing. We are born under sin, capital S. We are shaped by it to become sinners. And out of this pattern of being, we commit sins. And this is why we have such a profound sense that something is wrong with us. This is what it means to be children of Adam, to be born into a stew that's bigger than ourselves. And yet we all do our part to pass it on. And again, this is where this good news comes in. That despite this, despite our our inability to escape these things, despite our sense of just lostness and this death and alienation, Christ enters in. God sees us and has compassion and sends Christ to come and take this sin upon himself. The debt is paid, our sins are gone. As far as the East is from the West, So far, God has removed our transgressions from us. Amen. So this is important. This is the first half of this passage, the sense that we have been born into Adam. But in Christ, all of that is taken away. We are both freed from capitalists and forgiven for every sin that we could ever commit. And I know that even if we have been Christians for our whole life, we have trouble receiving that and we forget that. So I invite you, because this is the important first part of this passage, that we have to come back to that place, that you are 100% forgiven. When God looks on you in Christ, there is nothing with you. The curse has been broken. The debt has been paid. The disease has been cured. The pattern is gone. In Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. And I could stop right there, and this would be very good news. But Paul doesn't stop there. And that's what makes this passage fun, because we have to, we have to start with that foundation. Very matter That matters very, very, very much. I don't want the second part to be a negation, of the first part. But Paul keeps going, and he says this. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of the one man in Jesus Christ overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Got it yeah everybody everybody perfectly figured that out right you all did like sentence diagramming in your head to figure out exactly what Paul's saying. if you didn't that's okay like most passages in Romans I had to print this out and write it out and break it down and read a couple different translations it's this is not easy stuff to get through but in the simplest words possible what Paul is saying is this is that Jesus is greater than Adam and because of this, what's happening is we're not just being freed from the curse of Adam. We are actually being made new in Jesus. Christ doesn't just bring us back to zero. Do we know that? That matters. Because far too often, that's all we let the gospel be is a, is a God plan to bring us back to zero. But what Paul is saying is that the gift is greater than the trespass. Christ is not an Adam reversal plan. Christ is actually a new creation. Christ is the new Adam. Christ is the new humanity. And where once we were born in Adam, now we are being born again in Jesus. Where once we were created as children of Adam, now God is recreating us in Christ. And Christ, a new humanity is being born. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Think about that first creation story where God reaches down into the mud and pulls up Adam out of the muck. And having formed him, he blows his spirit into him, he blows his breath in him and raises him up to life. But as we know the story of scripture, Adam returns to the muck. And we are children of Adam and we are born into the muck. And so now what God wants to do is reach into your life. Into the muck. And again, I want you to hold that imagery of Adam. Because this is what God wants to do in you. Is to pull you up out of the muck. And recreate you in Christ. Christ. And just like Adam, God blows his breath into us, his wind, his spirit, so that we come alive. Just like that first creation story, this is what God wants to do in you. Can you see it? You can open your eyes. Now, some of us might have trouble envisioning who that new person is meant to be. But because of this, God shows us something special. God shows us who that new person is supposed to be. And his name starts with J and ends in Jesus. We are, in some mystical way, supposed to become Jesus. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the start of the new humanity. So there's a reason, right, that God didn't just zap us to be forgiven, and there's a reason Jesus didn't just show up and go to the cross on the first day. A lot of theology kind of does that, right? It's like Jesus only shows up as a forgiveness mechanism, but instead, Jesus walks, and he lives, and he shows us what it is to be the new humanity, And so we come to my favorite definition of discipleship. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would become if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would become if he were you. So let's use our imaginations again. What is the Jesus version of yourself? If Jesus were you, who would he become? I love this definition of discipleship because it says that God wants to do this work of radical transformation in you. But God actually likes you. This is not a project of antagonism. God actually says, like, your clay is good. I made you good. But now I'm going to reshape you and reform you into the Jesus version of yourself. So again, maybe the only identity you've ever had in Christ is forgiven. And if so, that's good. That's a really good thing. But Romans 5 says that the gift is greater than the trespass. God doesn't just bring us back to zero. God wants to make us new. God doesn't just want to forgive the debt. God wants to make us financially healthy. God doesn't just want to cure the disease. God wants to make our bodies thrive. God isn't interested in just forgiving Adam, but recreating him into Christ. Christ. God wants to forgive, but God also wants to make you totally new so that you can live. Amen. So I came across this as I was preparing this week, this story that NTRA tells to explain this, and it really helped me kind of get my head around this. So if we're we're kind of missing, again, this is a a tough passage. Um, Hopefully this helps. The sculptor was pleased with his work. It was a fine statue and it looked good in the town square. The subject had lived in the little seaport all his life and had become well known through organizing the Coast Guard service. This had turned to fame when at great risk to his own life he had rescued virtually single-handed a boatload of people caught off the rocks in a winter storm. The town was grateful and commissioned a statue of him from the sculptor but it wasn't long before trouble arrived. The next summer, a gang of noisy youths came to town for a laugh. They rampaged up the little main street. They broke a couple of windows. They shouted rude words at passersby, And when they got to the statue, they decided to have some real fun. First, they daubed it with red paint. Then they threw stones at it. Then they took turns to run, jump, and kick it with both feet in the air. And after a few minutes of this, The statue, which had not been made to withstand such treatment, snapped off its base, crashed into the road, smashing into pieces. The youths fled, still laughing. The town council pondered their response and called in the sculptor. They were determined not to be beaten. They wanted a statue remade exactly as it had been, but the sculptor had a better idea. He would remake it all right, but in a much tougher material, it would look better too. He wasn't just going to put things back as they had been. This was an opportunity to do something really spectacular. Rick continues, he says, the story could go on. I like to think of the ewes themselves getting into trouble in a boat, being themselves rescued by the coast guard and coming to their senses. But we've gone far enough for the main point to emerge, which otherwise we might not spot in the middle of Paul's dense and difficult writing. Thank you, Andy. right? That's true. The main point is that what God has done in the one man, Jesus the Messiah, is far, far more than simply putting the human race back to where it was before the arrival of sin. The statue has been remade, and it is far more splendid than before, It isn't a case of what they knocked down, God will put back up. Nor is it a case of what they did wickedly, God will do graciously. God has done far, far more. This is, of course, the story of Jesus and Adam. But, of course, it's also the story of us. The gift is greater than the trespass. Now, this is a process. We can receive forgiveness in a minute. It does take our lives to become made new in Christ. And as I was writing this sermon, at one point I wrote the word uh, rebirth rather than reborn, rebirthing rather than reborn. And then something about that struck me. Because we use this phrase all the time, right? To be born again. And yet we've made it so like spiritual, right? You can say I'm born again and, it, and it, there, it's just this abstract idea. But to be rebirth, I've witnessed a birth. I don't know if you guys have witnessed a birth. It's not a spiritual abstract ethereal concept. It is physical and it is messy. And that's not a bad thing because my life is physical and my life is messy. And so for some reason, this word struck me, right? The idea of being rebirthed by God. I don't know if that, that, is that weird? I think it it really struck me, right? Because, I mean, this idea of being rebirthed by God means God doesn't just stand on the sidelines as a cheerleader. Like in this analogy, God is mom, right? Which is an analogy that scripture uses of God giving birth to his children, And it means it's physical and tangible and real. God isn't just redeeming my soul. God wants to change my life, even the really messy parts that I'd rather hide from God together, altogether. I was reminded this week that the first creation was physical. So it makes sense that the recreation is physical as well. God isn't saving our souls to carry them off to an ethereal heaven. God is remaking our physical, tangible lives to ready us to live in the new creation. So if it's helpful to you, you can stick with the idea of being reborn. But if your life is messy and you long for God to enter in, I invite you to try on that idea of being rebirthed by God into the Jesus version of yourself. And lastly, this isn't just an individual thing. Of course, we do this together. Just as God created a new people with Abraham, so now God is creating a whole new humanity in Christ, and that's us, and we are covenant family. And you can look around this room and see your brothers and sisters who are also being reborn in Jesus And when we're willing to do this together, to follow Christ and to live as Christ and be recreated as Christ in our common life, we live in this new humanity together. The kingdom of God comes. We actually become this little pocket of the new creation, a window to the age to come. We become the new humanity, reborn in Jesus, prepared for the age to come. And so the last thing Paul says in this passage is that we receive eternal life. And far too often we've thought about that just as like a timeline thing, like an everlasting life. But what that actually means is the life of eternity, the life of the age to come, the life of God. This is what we're invited into together, that we actually live in the new creation, in the age that is to come. We are being recreated just. In Christ, prepared as the bride, being made ready for the renewal of all things. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So as I went through the sermon this week, I was just reminded of those two really important things that are on this passage. Forgiveness is real. And I needed to go back to that after 25 years of being a Christian. I need to remember that I am and was in fact born into Adam. And yet forgiveness is real. And if we've lost sight of that, we need to get back to that. If we lose sight of that, inevitably, our Christianity kind of becomes moralism or activism. And we just become judgy towards others and kind of burn out because it becomes a burden again. Forgiveness is real. You are forgiven. You are okay, just as you are right now. Amen. And I was reminded this week that there's this part two of the gospel, too, that we can't lose sight of. Even after being a Christian for 25 years, I needed to be reminded that God wants to pull that new person out of me and make me new. And even if I put that process on the shelf for too long, it can start again today. God wants to pull a new version of me out of the muck and breathe his Holy Spirit into the new creation. Step two of Christianity isn't getting your morality down or even memorizing your Bible it's being recreated in the image of Christ. It's letting God turn you into the Jesus version of yourself. So if you've lost sight of that, I want to remind you of that as well. That where once you were born in Adam... God is rebirthing you in Jesus. The gift is greater than the trespass. God doesn't just want to bring you back to zero. God wants to raise you up and us up into eternal life, the life of the age to come. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.